Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And welcome back to the show. You know that I've been obsessed with ever since interviewing Leo Smith last December, and we're going to get him back on the air. Uh, I've been obsessed with this idea that we have changed the environment in our nighttime in such a way that it is estimated that millions, if not a billion birds every single year are killed because they get lost or they will fly around an office building until they have a heart attack and die or they just simply cannot find their way to where they're supposed to go. And they're smashing into windows and a lot of that has to do with our lighting up the night skies. Connecticut being one of the first states to have actually enacted a statute that requires the buildings that are owned by the state of Connecticut to do lights out during the migratory periods, which are starting in just a couple of weeks in September, in both the fall and spring, to give these birds a fighting chance. But this movement, and it is a movement, much like No Mo May is a movement, uh, is really taking off. And I see that a lot of towns and communities are thinking about maybe doing something about it. So I've been talking about it a lot on Facebook. And joining us now is Pete Spain, who is a, a Facebook colleague who I've gotten to know, and Stefan Martin, who is the conservation manager for Connecticut Audubon. Uh, Mr. Spain is lives in, um, in Bridgeport. He's very concerned, particularly about the lights around St. Mary's by the Sea, which he's going to describe in a moment. And uh, Stefan is a a person with a great depth of environmental and birding knowledge. He is a past board member of the Connecticut Ornithological Association, vice president of the Connecticut Butterfly Association. That means that you must know Victor Massey, right? I sure do. Yeah, he's been on our show a couple of times. (laughs) And is well-known and respected in birding and butterfly communities, as well as being a certified master gardener. So Stefan Martin and Pete Spain, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hi. Great. Thank you for having us. I'm so delighted you're here. So, Pete, let me begin with you. Tell us, what is your primary concern right now? What's going on? So, bird migration season was uh, started on August 15th. It ends November 15th. And we want to try to do what we can to help the birds. When I was in city council uh, in Bridgeport for this section of the west, which is the Black Rock area as well, we had uh, an emergency where 113 lights had to be shut off because the city said it posed a mortal risk. They said there was arcing and this and that. As someone is not what an electrician, arcing? what's that? As someone is not an electrician, I took them at their word, and the lights went off for three and a half months in the fall during the migration season. It okay. so happened there was uh, no increase in crime. 
observed or reported. And in fact, the neighbors who live out there said there was less traffic in the park, which closes at dark. And in a sense, they felt even more secure. They felt safer because more people were staying away because of the dark? Yes. So when you do a little literature research on safety, it turns out lights are not cause for higher levels of safety. Interesting. in, In fact, some research shows that it may be the converse. And in terms of because health, people have what an illusion of safety and they go out there anyway. Sure, sure, yeah. It draws it draws people to habituate the area when they shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. It then makes the police have to make more calls. It kind of works against everything yeah. we're trying to do in the Park City. Well, we we, ha- we have a saying in our family: nothing good happens after midnight, and that was our <laughs> saying about raising kids and teenagers, right? I yeah. agree with that hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so go ahead, Pete. Sorry. So uh, it turns out when they did turn the lights back on, they had replaced them at the to, to the tune of about $680,000, 113 lights in nine-tenths of a mile. And uh, the neighbors immediately were calling me up saying, these are too bright, these are too bright. They were right. Oh. The, the, the critical step that was missed, and I take some of the blame for it, is we didn't get the public input, which had been planned because the city said it was an emergency, unfortunately. I don't think so. I think what you need to do when you miss the community input, and a community as dynamic and diverse as, as the one I'm talking about, you really uh, reduce the input and the insight. And we would have we would have gotten a much better solution, bird-friendly, with a, uh, a happier community. So these lights are on 24-7? They go on supposedly at dusk, but the photo cells are a little quirky, and it turns out sometimes they're on mid-afternoon. But, I mean, are they on through the darkness of the night, like till yes, 6 a.m. or right. 5 a.m.? Yes, they are. And wow. the park is closed. There's a road that you can drive through at any time, but the park is closed. So we're, we're you know, it's it's a city that's got a lot of challenges, a lot of great things in Bridgeport. But, you know, I brought my tax uh, uh, collector form in to say they estimate that $220.3 million will be received from the state of Connecticut uh, by Bridgeport in the budget year 2024. So if we're if we're always asking for a handout from the state, maybe we can take some uh, sensible steps and reduce our electric use, our lighting, and nobody's going to be any worse for it, and it'll help the birds. So it'll also help human health, which we can human talk about health. later. We will, the light pollution for human health. So we're chatting with Pete Spain. I'm going to bring Stefan Martin into this. Uh, Mr. Martin, you are the conservation director for Connecticut Audubon and an educated man. Why do we care that the lights are on at night? Well, from a conservation standpoint, uh, we, we now know that birds are using celestial cues to migrate at night. Um, the high majority of our bird species, their migratory bird species, are migrating at night. So when we are sleeping, these birds are flying overhead. Uh, you can actually stand out there any time in uh, fall or spring migration and actually listen for these flight calls, these little chirps overhead, uh, which maybe some people just might dismiss as um, you know an artifact. Uh, but the, these birds, and sometimes... Um, hundreds of thousands of birds are migrating through the state of Connecticut on any given night. And the, the light pollution from these are distracting them from their ability to, to migrate naturally, um, as well as disorienting them. They are driving them into these areas where light pollution is the heaviest, um, so it, they'll get disoriented. And then oftentimes in the morning when they're looking for a spot to put down um, refuge habitat. Um, they're directed into these towns or these cities where there aren't a lot of safe safe spaces and a lot of windows. And that's where we're seeing a lot of oh. um, interaction between birds and window strikes. Like you said, it's estimated that one billion birds are killed every year. I can't believe year. that number. It's, it's mind-boggling, actually, when you really think about it. 
And, you know, it's even more concerning because there was a recent study that came out that since 1970, we've lost about 3 billion birds globally. I know. I know. So every, every bird that hits one of these windows or every bird that's, um, you know, unnaturally being directed towards these cities or these, these uh, developments um, that have unnecessary lighting, they're more susceptible to uh, risk of, let's say, cats or window strikes. Um, and then also just exhaustion. There's not a lot of food for them right. to refuel. They're in. exhausted. If they go the wrong way, how do they get the way back? And Stefan, what do you suggest? Like, I'm a single family homeowner, right? Um, I, now that I know about this, I make sure that every single light in my house is off. But I have a motion detector on my driveway in case there should be some kind of creepy intruder at night. I'm not an idiot. But no, really. But that's all I have. That's You're doing everything right. Uh, that's exactly what lights out Connecticut right now, this big push and big movement, like you're saying, not just in the state of Connecticut, but foot, uh, across the country, um, to reduce unnecessary or artificial lighting, um, especially during those times. I of... don't need a nightlight on in my house. I really well, don't. Well, that's, that's I mean, I really thing. don't. A motion detector, that makes sense. Yep. But a, a full light on all 24-7, what do I need it for? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you're taking the appropriate steps to... Uh, reduce your personal impact on these migratory birds. You know, you can go to lightsoutconnecticut.org right now. You could take a pledge. Um, there's a couple things that you could do, like you just suggested. Turn off spotlights or decorative lighting. Um, turn off or dim interior lights, especially on upper floors. Um, you can downshield your exterior safety lighting. And again, we're not saying turn off all your lights. We understand that it's necessary for safety or other or other reasons that you need to have these lightings on. But but you can switch things to timers, like you said. Yeah, the motion detectors motion are sensors. easy. They're not even expensive. It's a nothing. Yeah, it's very simple. Plus, you save money. You do save money. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another, you know, driving this to why should we do it if, let's say, somebody doesn't necessarily care about birds. It saves you money. It does save you money. It's a win-win for everybody. Let's go to Dorothy from Bridgeport. Dorothy, you're on the air with Stefan Martin and with Pete Spain. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you so much to your guests for for bringing to light to your audience. It's a tragedy down there, Lisa, and I'd like to offer you, and I'm sure other people would too, if you would go down to St. Mary's by the Sea, I know you know I'm a former realtor, it is the most beautiful place, I think, in Bridgeport and also maybe in Fairfield County. If I take you there one time, Lisa, because I've done it to other people, you will continue, you and Bill and your friends, you will want to go and visit. And then I talked to Mayor Gannon. He knows how concerned I am after they put up, which was supposed to be Victorian um, lighting. I said to the mayor, I said, could we take down half of them? Mm. He said, absolutely. And you probably know that. It was, uh, I don't even know how this mistake was made, Lisa, but as a child, my father took me there as a baby, and then we, we bought land and built in Fairfield. But that land used to be, St. Mary's by the Sea used to be owned by Fairfield. And then we gave that land to Bridgeport because we own, owed Bridgeport money. Oh. And Lisa, trust me, you, Marvin Hamlish, I met him. There's a mansion, and I actually know the family now who is selling their mansion. You would, this is in the 20s. You would not believe how incredible this, this location is. And there's a Harborview market. You could have outdoor or indoor uh, refreshment, dining, whatever. But I'm sure your guests would agree this is the most beautiful place, and it's a tragedy. Let me ask you something, Dorothy. 
I had Mayor Joe Gannam on the air, what, about a week ago, a week ago, mm-hmm. Friday, you something did. like that. Yeah. The first thing he said to me is, Lisa, you're not the only one, when we were talking about this, he said that somebody had come into his office just that morning or the day before and complained mm-hmm. about the lights. Was that you? Or no, no, I did it years ago, Lisa. This has been going on okay. for years. So then he knows from a lot of people. heart when I drove the first time at night. Your guests will appreciate this. I'm like Lisa. I really care. And Joe, Dr. Henning, the mayor knows when I volunteer, I don't do it for um, to get a job. I do it because I want to see. I used to live in Fairfield for, say, 50 years. This location, Lisa, I can't stress, if you go there one time, if it, either I'll give you directions, I'll drive you, I'll take you to lunch. You're going to say, Dorothy, I don't want to leave. That's how beautiful it is. Okay. And in the evening, it is fabulous, but not with all that lighting. Wow. And Thank the neighbors you. are right. They okay. have to take half of the lights. They're poles, Lisa, like Victorian. Yeah. If, and half of them have to be taken down. Okay. Do you, can I ask your guests if they agree? Go ahead. Pete, I agree. What do you think? I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, that's great, Dorothy. And thanks for your call. Makes a lot of yeah. sense. Thank you. Appreciate thank you, your Dorothy. Thank you so much, Lisa. Sure. And, and your guest. Thank you. Thank you. So, Pete. Yes. Um. So, what effect? I mean, obviously, sure. Mayor Ganim knows that people are unhappy about it. Does he live yeah. down there? By the way, is he in St. Mary's? By I the don't same? know where he is these okay. days. He did at one point. He was okay. pretty much a regular uh, jogging through. So. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So one of the things I just wanted to add is that nighttime brightness in the world has increased about 10% every year over the last decade. Oh, that's unbelievable. According to the Journal Science. Now, the Journal Science dedicated its a June issue just to light pollution and energy waste. It kept stressing, don't just call it light pollution. It's also energy waste. That's good. I like you know, that. You're, sort of like with the uh, death taxes. That's right. Yeah, that's they right. got rid of the estate taxes right. by calling it a death tax. Right, so we call it energy waste. Energy and, waste. And, and, Nobody and, wants a waste of energy. And as you it's pointed out, smart. some of these solutions are really low-hanging fruit. I mean, turn the lights <laughs> off. off. Didn't your parents always tell you that anyway? Turn off the light when you leave the room? Turn off the light when you leave the room? My parents always say, turn off the light when you leave the room. It makes me wild whenever I, <laughs> someone leaves a room and leaves the light on. Right? So I, I'm, I'm 100% You know what I'm talking you. about. Energy waste. I love that. Keep going with the stats. So, so interestingly, from that uh, special issue of science, just from the abstract, they point out that this energy waste is exacerbating the climate chaos emergency we have. It also presents not only ecological risks but also it's harmful to human health. 
there's a body of this. And now you know this very well as a leader in your town who's setting policy I hope we can use in every municipality in the state. So if you don't mind indulging us a little bit, tell us what the framework is that Westport's going to follow as a best practice for kind of a lights-out for a community. It's a work in progress, Pete. Yeah. Let me tell you that the, what what happened was, um, you know, I interviewed Leo Smith. He's our dark sky person. He is and, fabulous. And yes. I knew that Westport was in the process of doing an overhaul of P&Z regulations. So I thought, and, and they were specifically focusing on commercial. So I thought it was an opportunity I'm not on the P&Z or any of these subcommittees, but I thought it was an opportunity to become educated. And so what I did is I called Danielle Dobin, who's the chair of our P&Z, and said, Danielle, I've had this amazing guest on. I really think you ought to talk to him. And she did. So she brought him in. I, I wasn't there. And she brought him into the subcommittee. Well, you know, he's a very smart guy. He's an engineer. He's a brilliant guy on the subject. And whatever it was that he said persuaded this committee that there were reasonable, reasonable incremental things that could be done now that wouldn't be radical, that wouldn't, you know, make the community say, oh, my goodness, you're trying to take over or whatever. We can't have our lights on. And so what's been proposed, and it has not been uh, it has not been passed yet, and it's in development and discussion, but what's been proposed as an incremental situation is for commercial only, for new commercials, so in other words, not so everybody else gets grandfathered, which is a big problem, right? But mm -hmm. they're trying to move forward progressively, and they have a series of, and they're very specific, and I don't know them offhand, but a series of regulations that anybody who wants to get P&Z approval any, any, to go forward with a commercial application in Westport will have to meet these lighting regulations, and the lighting regulations are designed for downward lighting. They're designed for, you know, a, a low footprint. I would prefer, and I don't know that it's even in the running, that a lot be have to do with motion detectors and not be on at all. But it's a first step. It, it doesn't impact residential and it doesn't impact existing commercial. But their their theory is... Let the community get used to it. Let them see it has a positive impact in new developments. And let's keep educating people so that one house by one house at a time, we make an impact anyway. Like no mo may is not a law. It's something that I've been doing now for three years in a row. And I can see more birds returning. I've saved a tremendous amount of money in landscaping. My husband is actually happy with me because not, not only don't we mow in May, but we now mow every other week the rest of the summer. We don't even do it every week. I've noticed zero difference, by the way, in my lawn. Zero. If anything, it's richer and mm -hmm. thicker and greener and fuller. But we've had rain this summer, so maybe that's part of it. But, I mean, my point is that legislation is very important. And we need to do that with people with lights, for sure. But there are ways in which we can also do what we can do without legislation. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I'm here right now. It's, uh, you know, um, it's one thing to, to get cities and municipalities on board, but even just the general public, it makes such a huge difference, um, just such a huge difference. And like you were saying, the no mow may, we could take it a step further and we can transition your lawn into a native ecosystem where I know. we use these native grasses, that's the next native thing. wildflowers. It needs zero attention. I know. That's the next thing. I'm definitely going to take a part of my, we have a one acre lot 
but most of it's in the back, a little bit in the front. So that's actually good because we can play with things in a backyard that a lot of times people don't want to play with in a front yard. Mm-hmm. And over time, I'm definitely going to try and create the meadow thingy. Absolutely. And please contact me. I'd be happy to uh, stop over and give you some. Would you? Absolutely. 100%. Yep. And we have a, a lot of different recommendations on our website as well. It's which... just very exciting to think about one lawn at a time, one light at a time. Yep, yep. And everybody collectively, I mean, um, you look at yourself at this, as this one person. You, you may be small in the scope of things, but one person and one person, that's two people, two people plus two people is four people. The more people that are that are taking these actions the quicker we're going to get the results. Well, Stefan, the whole idea of the pollinator pathway, which was so brilliant, uh, and I remember interviewing people when this started about five, six years ago, was this idea that we're all on the pathway, that all of us have a little bit of control on the pathway, even if we're not technically on their pathway. We're all on some kind of pollinator pathway. Absolutely. Yeah, and look at the monarch butterfly. We are all on the monarch butterfly's pathway. How are we doing with that? Mr. Butterfly. Um, un- unfortunately, it seems um, like their populations are declining. The IUCN actually listed them as an endangered species Did last year. Did they really? Yeah, unfortunately. Which the is monarch a, butterfly. Yep, this symbol that everybody knows. If there's one butterfly, that's the butterfly folks know. Um, and it is our goal to ensure that for generations they'll be able to not look at this in a museum. Uh, they can go outside to their what backyard. What a sad thing. Um, a lot of our insects have co-evolved side by side with native plants. So we're bringing in these exotic plants or these introduced plants in our landscape that our insects have not uh, evolved with. Uh, there's this specific relationship and no better example than the monarch butterfly and milkweed. That is the only plant that this butterfly can lay its egg on and the caterpillar can eat and turn into an adult monarch and then continue its journey all the way down south to Mexico. Um, so I have to plant some milkweed. Absolutely. Yep. Even one. So I have a very tiny yard. I took a little section and, and planted some pollinator plants um, and put in a butterfly weed, which is a Sclepius tuberosa. So that's a, a type of milkweed. And it's not that one that you see on the roadsides necessarily where um, it might not be as appealing to folks in the garden. This is a beautiful orange flower. It grows very dense. It has this mounded form to it. You can incorporate it in just about every garden or landscape um, with Sounds little effort. Sounds pretty. It's beautiful. Um, I have one milkweed plant and had a monarch uh, laying eggs you on did. it the other day. So you had one. Even just one plant makes a huge difference. Yeah, I've only seen one butterfly in my garden, and we planted a bunch of things to attract. I only saw beautiful butterflies. Somebody identified on a Facebook group the kind that it was. I didn't know it was beautiful, but only one. But hummingbirds, which hadn't been here the week, you know, the year before, so we're getting other things. Pete That's Spain, great. where are you? Where Where are you? You're in St. So, Mary's by the Sea. I'm at Bridgeport. Yeah, in Bridgeport. I live at 280 Grovers. Come on by. My wife actually uh, does uh, a great job of hosting the monarch caterpillars and then helping them improve their chances by putting them in, once they're in their chrysalis into a little or in their caterpillar stage into a tent and feeds them milkweed leaves and then they transform into butterflies and she lets them go and they kind of fill up on the nectar plants in our yard and then they make their way so in one year that sounds like a tremendous amount of effort well she loves it so she's i think one year she had 75 that were released now she doesn't bring them inside the house they're just in a netted area and uh no i wouldn't think this year so far zero what do you mean there are none. There are none yet. We have not had a uh, monarch caterpillar on any of our milkweed in our yard. We do not spray. And so it's it's an unusually low year for us in the about the six years that we've been doing this. Oh, so sad. So well, that's just anecdotal. But, yeah, that, that's kind of scary. 
it seems like you're not alone with with that this year especially um like i said they need milkweed that's their host plant that's their larval food plant um it's growing in all the roadside margins uh side of the roads and these areas um that are then uh w- once the milkweed is mature enough and these monarchs will lay their eggs on it and the caterpillars um, will hatch the town comes in or other municipalities dot and unknowingly mows down these milkweed patches um and that's happening uh tenfold you know that's happening absolutely everywhere across the country um so again uh folks like you at home you can make a difference uh keeping a a but you're the head of audubon your conservation do you make phone calls to these towns and say wait wait another week give them a chance i personally do you do i do and they're not listening uh so it, it could be um you know a lot of these towns mean well um, you get that one rogue employee that might have, you know, an afternoon free that decides that this is kind of looking unruly and unmanicured and might accidentally uh, come in and mow that patch. But we do absolutely make an effort to reach out to towns and um, other municipalities and, and let them know that they you have. You know a- what? I have an idea. I have an idea. <clears throat> You know, we have all these youth conservation people around, and I'm sure Audubon has a lot of young volunteers. You should have, like, a tiny little, and I mean tiny, like, little post with a butterfly sign that says, like, butterflies are coming, and put it there. That's a great idea. I actually, aside from uh, my work with Connecticut Audubon Society. You know what I mean? Like a little one. And then it would be, you know, biodegradable or whatever. Butterflies are coming. In the shape of a butterfly. That's a very cute idea. Simple enough and easy to do. I actually leave notes for my neighbors when I see milkweed in their front yard. Because I wouldn't recognize it, Stefan. And I'm a relatively educated person. I don't know that I would be able to pick out milkweed. I guarantee you if you come on one of my walks, you'll leave there knowing how to point out milkweed. But I'll tell you what I guarantee. I guarantee if there was a sign anywhere where I walk that says butterflies are coming I guarantee that if I saw anything happen to that there would be hell to pay (laughs) no I mean that that I would be making a phone call and everybody who walks by that's milkweed that's a pretty orange flower that's that's milkweed that's the butterfly that's beautiful that's be- I don't think I've seen that, though. And folks, unfortunately hear the word weed associated with it and think that it's not a good plant you're right that's true butterflies are coming butterflies are coming Mm. Thank you, gentlemen. So Thank the you. lights, the butterflies. Um, uh, where are you, Pete Spain, before we go with trying to get Bridgeport to do something about the lights at St. Mary's by the Sea? Well, right now it's in the mayor's office. It uh, is. Some community members have put money together to say, hey, we'll have an outside electrician come in. We'll cover it to look at the electric boxes wow. to see what we so can do. So what's the downside? Uh, you'd have to ask uh, Mayor Joe Gannam. I will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for being on the show today. We're going to be right back with Wayne Winston. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.